Caleb Kaltenbach's parents divorced when he was young. His mom came out as a lesbian. His dad came out as a gay man. That gave Caleb a unique perspective on life. I remember marching a gay pride parade one time and seeing all these, I'll use quotations, Christians holding up signs saying, God hates you. And I remember that so vividly, almost as if it happened yesterday. And I remember looking at my mom, looking at her in the eye and saying, Mom, why are they acting like this? And I was about nine, ten, somewhere around there. And she looked at me and she said, well, Caleb, they're Christians. And Christians hate gay people. This is Family Life Today. Our host is Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. Caleb Kaltenbach grew up in what I think we'd all agree was a somewhat messy family situation. He had to learn eventually how to apply what he calls messy grace. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Monday edition. You know, every family is messy at some level, right? But there are no doubt. There, <laughs> I, I just was withholding an answer there because it's it's wow. just self-evident, isn't it? I mean, yeah, you get six children, two imperfect parents. I mean, what are you going to get? You're going to get some some messiness. This is where I think the Bible has all kinds of relevance because it's about messy people. It's about imperfect people, imperfect stories, and how God, in His sovereign majesty works out a story that honors him. Yeah. I I love what Matt Chandler says. He says, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And that's (laughs) what the story of redemption is all about. Well, we have... uh a guest with us today who has quite a story. And I just want you to know as a listener, I don't know what you're doing, but set it aside because what you're going to hear is going to be riveting. I am confident of that. He has written a book called Messy Grace, and it is subtitled, How a Pastor with Gay Parents Learned to Love Others Without Sacrificing Conviction. Now that is a mouthful. Mm -hmm. But we have with us Caleb Kaltenbach. Welcome to the broadcast. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. That last name, Kaltenbach, is that German? It is German. It's also a trap for telemarketers. <laughs> you can tell whether they are... Yeah, I, I got the same thing with Lapine. I, trust Lapine. me. I, I get Lapine all the time. We I can say, tell. He is not here. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> Well, Caleb, this lead line over the title of your book, How a Pastor with Gay Parents Learned How to Love Others, wow. Take us back to the home you grew up in. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories, but uh, I'm not sure I've heard one about a pastor who came from uh, that kind of background. I was raised in Columbia, Missouri, and Kansas City. Actually, I started out in Columbia. Both my parents were professors at the University of Missouri-Columbia and at local schools there as well. I've got to stop you right there. Columbia is almost perfectly in between. Two major league baseball teams. Yep. And you are seated in the presence of two fans for one of those teams. And we're just wondering on which side of the state do you root for? You you mentioned under your breath that you lived in Kansas City. So are you a Royal fan? I uh, bleed Dodger blue, but I also root for the Royals and I'm a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. Well, all right. The so interview's th- over. Thanks then. for being here on Family Life today. <laughs> <laughs> so take us back to your story. Enough of this nonsense. No, no, that's great. Both my parents uh, taught 
subjects like philosophy, law, rhetoric, English literature. And when I was two, they got a divorce and both of them entered into same-sex relationships. My mom went into a 22-year monogamous uh, long relationship with her partner, Vera, and she was a psychologist, and they only uh, were together with each other. Now, my dad, on the other hand, he had several different relationships. He never had one relationship that lasted. And I actually, I didn't even know about my dad until I, I got to be college age, maybe just graduated from college. But I kind of always had my suspicions. I don't know. But I was raised by three gay parents. This is at a time that's unlike today when these relationships tended to be more closeted. Were your parents out about their sexual preference? My dad was in the closet. My mom and her partners, I said, they did go to Kansas City. They were very loud and proud and very out. They were on the board of directors for the Kansas City chapter of GLAAD. They were activists. They took me with them to gay pride parades and bars and clubs when I was a preschool age, elementary age. I remember going with them to activist events. I remember marching a gay pride parade one time and seeing all these, I'll use quotations, Christians holding up signs saying, God hates you. And if that wasn't offensive enough, they were spraying people with water and urine at one of the particular parades. And I remember that so vividly, almost as if it happened yesterday. And I remember just right now to this day, I remember looking at my mom, looking at her in the eye and saying, Mom, why are they acting like this? And I was about nine, ten, somewhere around there, and she looked at me and she said, well, Caleb, they're Christians, and Christians hate gay people. And that stuck with me. And my whole childhood, I was raised to believe that. I saw that when AIDS was uh, developing in America and spreading, and, and we were learning more about it, many of my mom's friends contracted it. I remember one man named Lewis, who was a young man. His uh, family was Christian. They already didn't accept him because he was in a same-sex relationship. But when he got AIDS, they really didn't want to have anything to do with him. We went and visited him in a hospital one time. Yeah, you describe a scene in your book that is right. pretty pretty amazing. Well, yeah, and, and the most disturbing thing was— Obviously, it's disturbing to see somebody die from AIDS if you've ever seen that, but seeing his family being so nonchalant while they were reading their Bibles, lined up against the wall like they were waiting for a firing squad to come and get them, that to me was unforgivable at that time. They were not next to his bed. No. Holding his his hand, speaking love to him. They were kind of huddled together in another section of the room, not caring for him at all. No, and they wouldn't even talk to us. And I remember my mom looked at me and she said, hey— Christians hate gay people. So you grew up with that as your view of Christians and Christianity. At the same time, you're going to elementary school, and you had to be the only kid in your school who had two moms. Oh, I didn't tell anybody that I had two moms. I didn't tell anybody. And even as a young kid, I wondered about my dad, but I didn't tell anybody because even though at that age, I didn't think that there's anything uh, wrong about that relationship. At the same time, I knew that I was different and I did not want to get made fun of. So you just would tell folks you lived with your mom and your mom and dad were divorced and that was it? And I would go back and forth. Absolutely. Was it 50-50? Uh, no, I spent most of the time with my dad, who was ironically very upset that my mom left him for another woman, but at the same time, he has all these other relationships on the side. So I don't know how those two go together, but they do. I've been looking forward to talking with you because I'm seeing children today grow up in homes where they have two same-sex parents, and I'm just wondering what's happening underneath the waterline uh, 
in the life of that child. What's that child thinking, feeling? Bob asked the question about how you handled it at school. I mean, they had to show up at points because they were your parents, uh, two women. What was going on in your life emotionally, if you can think back and articulate kind of what you were thinking and feeling? I remember Vera, my mother's partner, we did not get along at all, almost from day one when I was a little kid. There was a real jealousy competition factor with her and my mother. I remember learning at a very young age that Vera really hated men. And even though I was a little boy, I was still, you know, a man representative of that. And if I had time to take you through her past, my mom and dad's past, you would totally understand where they would get that hatred from. I even understand it today. I don't think that's the right response, but I understand how that could be a response. You know, and I just want to stop you there. I, I say many times when you, when you find someone is at a certain spot in life, they do have a context. They do have circumstances of a background and a past that they've come out of. If you heard it, you'd understand. You, it, it wouldn't mean it would make it right to hate or to despise men, but people get damaged and they grow up to become adults. Absolutely. And this is where I think parenting is so incredibly important on two levels. Number one, parents have got to learn that they have to deal with their issues because whatever their burdens are, when they don't deal with them and seek healing from them, they pass them on to their kids. And their kids now have to bear the burdens that their parents do. But also, our kids, and I'm very mindful of this with my own kids, are always watching me and how I handle stressful situations and how I handle life because they model their achievement of emotional balance through watching me and their mother. And so we want to do that in a Christ-like way. So when they see that life is difficult, the life is tough, they see us turning to God. They don't see us raging or ignoring them or doing things like that or being abusive. So back to the question, Caleb, as a little boy growing up, obviously you said you spent most of your time with your dad. Mm -hmm. Were you ashamed that you had two mommies as such? I wasn't ashamed. I did not want to be made fun of. Um, They never came together to any events whatsoever. Um, mainly because it was a two-hour drive from Kansas City to Columbia. So they never did that. I knew that there was something wrong. And what was really ironic was even if you were to look at Vera and my mother's relationship, Vera took on the role of the man in the relationship. And then my mom took on the role of the women. So even within their relationship, they still mirrored the image that the creator set up in the covenant of marriage. Even though it was Mm. not the right image, It's always been fascinating that even within that, we still mirror what God originally set up. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. And I think it it happens in a lot of same-sex relationships where there is uh, a leader, there's a responder. I think you're right. It mirrors what God has designed. Your dad, you said, was a bachelor. He's who you spent most of your time with. At what age did you start to become aware of the fact, hey, my family's different. I got two moms. You're starting to understand human sexuality for yourself at, I guess, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, whatever age it was. When did you start to put the pieces together that the family you were in was unusual? Uh, When I was in elementary school, because I would see everybody else talk about their parents and so on and so forth. And I started watching my dad, and I knew that he did not have a girlfriend. I knew that he spent time around one person in particular, and he had different people over 
um, and then I wouldn't see them for a while. And I mean, just there, there was an ebb and flow that just was not ever consistent. There was hardly any consistency. So, and by the time I got to high school, my worldview was very whacked out. I mean, I did not have a Christian worldview, obviously. Um, I actually had hair back then down to my shoulders and the Lord taketh and addeth to my gut. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm this punishment for something. But, um, but when you grow up in that situation and that's your normal, a lot of young people just think this is normal. I mean, it may not be the same as everybody else's, but my situation's not a wrong situation. Yeah, and the, but the thing is, is that there's no standard then. When you say that, what are you speaking of in terms of what a man is I'm saying, and what a woman is and how they relate to each other? I'm saying that the Bible provides a standard in holy living, uh, sanctification, how we should live our lives in every aspect, in every domain of our life. And you didn't have that? No, I didn't have that. And so my worldview had no standard. It had no basis. It was always shifting. It was like culture. Culture is always changing because people always change because there's no focal point. When you follow Jesus, he is the focal point. He's the standard. He's by which you measure everything by and make your decisions. Did you have any sexual ethic, any personal sexual ethic? No. No, I didn't. I mean, I never I never had premarital sex or anything like that. I never got into anything destructive. But I was of the mindset that anything you wanted to do, as long as it didn't hurt anybody, was okay. I mean, you know, more of a modern family type mindset, I guess right. you would say. So what your mom and dad had chosen to do, you looked at that and said... That's their choice, or that's who they are. They're just being true to who they are. That's good for them, and I've never experienced same-sex attraction. My mom would always ask me a lot, well, and it's okay, Caleb, it's okay. Mom, I've never, even as a young kid, I would say, I've, I've always liked girls. I'm sorry, I don't. And some of the times I felt like my mom was trying to talk me into it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, again, they were activists. They were very justice-oriented. Growing up in this home where you didn't have a healthy relationship between a mother and a father in a biblical sense and without a standard, I was just wondering how you handled—you uh, sure didn't have the culture shoving it down your throat as it does today— but you weren't confused. It doesn't sound like at all. No, I thought it was okay for them to do whatever. But you got to understand, from the very beginning, my parents raised me differently. I mean, I'll just give you an example. I don't write about this in the book, but one of the first movies I ever saw as a kid was An American Werewolf in London. Wow. So <laughs> still scares me today thinking about it. But, I mean, you think about that, there was no standard. There was no boundaries. That's one of the things I realized about my childhood, that there were no boundaries. And so— there were boundaries with my parents, but they were very long stretched. And when I would step over one, usually when I would question their, their sexuality or their choice to be in a same-sex relationship, even at a young age, the consequences were very swift. I mean, especially politically. I mean, my mother, I mean, she thinks that uh, Nancy Pelosi is, uh, you know, a little too conservative. Mm. So that that's how I grew up. And so I had that same justice within me. So I got invited to go to this Bible study when I was in high school, the, led by a high schooler for high schoolers. And I thought, this is perfect. I'm going to go and I'm going to pretend to be a Christian. I'm going to be a ninja Christian. I'm going to go in there. A ninja Christian. A ninja Christian. I'm gonna <laughs> no, learn. hold it. What's that? Well, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to I'm going to pretend to talk the lingo and I'm going to learn about the Bible and dismantle their faith with my questions. That was my plan. So I never owned a Bible. I grabbed a new revised standard version and I didn't know what that meant. I just figured they revised something and I took it. <laughs> and you got to understand, I had never been in a Christian household before in my entire life. 
like an evangelical conservative Christian household. So imagine me walking in, and the first thing I noticed on the wall, I looked at my friend that came with me. I said, why are there framed pictures of sheep and lions and Bible verses all over the house? And I looked at my friend, and I said, is this part of the deal? If I turn Christian, do I have to get a sheep picture? I mean, because I'd never seen so many framed pictures of sheep before in my life. <laughs> I, I want to take you back to the, the gay pride parade that you marched in as a boy, and you, you gave some, really, I can't imagine, uh, from a descriptive standpoint, having somebody spit on you and toss water and, as you said, urine on a little boy and, and have so many people hating you because you were marching in a parade on behalf of the whole LGBTQ uh, community. What would you say was the most hurtful and hateful thing you experienced as a boy growing up from the Christian community? Because I'm picturing you going to this Bible study, and it's like, I would think you would be a ninja going into that thing, because you'd had some harm done to you by the Christian community. Was there anything done as you grew up as a boy that you would characterize as the most hurtful and hateful thing? Yes. One time, my mother and I, we were um, uh, driving through Kansas to visit my family, and there were these Christians on the street corners and holding up signs. And I remember, I mean, my mother's car was a purple RAV4. And you got to understand, she had bumpers. She was very loud and proud. She had bumper stickers on there like Lorena Bobbitt for Surgeon General and stuff like that. I mean, graduate of Thelma and Louise Finishing School. I mean, you spotted a mile away, you know. And I remember my mom didn't do anything to them. And she pulled up and they saw her stickers and they started cussing at her and they started yelling at her and spitting and I just looked at my mom, and she started crying in that moment because she felt humiliated. And I remember thinking about that, and I remember— How old were you as a boy? I must have been close to middle school, and I, it was not my best moment. I rolled down the window and flipped in the bird, and I got a hold of their newsletter. They put that on the front of it, said, look at our persecution, and hopefully that's gone out of print. Mm. But— I just remember my mom and her reaction of them immediately judging her without getting to know her and just the humiliation and the tears and just the pain that she had. And it was so raw that when I looked at a Christian, I thought about that. So when somebody comes to you and says, do you want to come over to a Bible study at so-and-so's house, you were thinking, I want to come blow this thing up. I don't want to come and, and be a part of this group. I want to come and dismantle it. I, I was ready for war. I was ready for war. And so, you, you and walk I, in, and there are Bible verses and pictures of sheep all over the place. Yeah. You were probably thinking about slaughtering some sheep at that point. <laughs> well, I didn't know what was going to happen. I don't know if we were going to sacrifice a chicken downstairs during the Bible study. I didn't know what, what happened. So we go down there, and we're all reading through First Corinthians, and I'm in First Chronicles, <laughs> and they're all reading verses from Paul, and then I read a verse about somebody getting slaughtered, not a sheep, though, a person. And they said, well, Caleb, where are you? I said, well, I'm in First Chronicles. Oh, you're in the Old Testament. I said, so I guess there's a new one. There's updated 2.0 or something like that. And uh, I was so embarrassed, but I kept on going back because I'm like, I'm not going to let these people get me down. Did they know where you came from? I think a couple of them did. And definitely when I didn't even know there was a New Testament, they're like, oh, look, Somebody that's not a Christian right there. Uh -huh. So some of the attitudes changed and softened towards me. Because when I first said that, 
you know, I was in, you know, First Chronicles, you know, is there, there's a New Testament, you know, a girl said, oh, yeah, the New Testament, as if I was supposed to know that. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, I must have one of those new Bibles. You know, I didn't know. Right. Um, but I kept on going. And uh, it's funny, I was expecting to disprove the worldview of Christianity, but I found somebody very different in the Gospels than what I had experienced on the street corners of the hospital rooms. You had actually had a young lady prior to this Bible study, hadn't you, who had given you what you thought was a love note? <sighs> yeah. That was painful. It was nice and painful at the same time because she, you know, for elementary age, you know, she was hot. And, you know, I thought she dug my chili, but she didn't. And um, it was a Jesus note. And I remember opening it and thinking to myself, oh, really, a Jesus note? I was hoping for, Caleb, you're debonair, you're all this and more. And, um, you know, she explained the gospel to me. And I threw away the note and told her I'd think about it. But even to this day, I still remember, because she was probably one of the only Christians that I had a positive experience with. That actually, when I think about it now, she actually took the time to sit down and to write that out as an elementary age schoolgirl, writing that out, letting us know about the gospel. That was huge when I think about it. And I tell my kids about that all the time. Okay, so if you could go back and have a do-over of your middle school, high school experience, and you could coach the Christians in your school on how to, how to reach out to a guy like you, what would you tell them to do differently than they did? I would say, number one, don't assume that everybody else is at the same spiritual level that you are. Mm. I mean, even when I preach every Sunday, I don't make that, you know— Assumption, a, yeah. Assumption, exactly, that everybody's at a different spiritual level. Um, the second thing that I would say is don't automatically engage in a Bible study where you think that everybody obviously knows, hey, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians, we're going to go to you know Paul, this kind of thing. If you have a new person, you have no idea if they're new or not. Don't assume that everybody is on the same page as you when it comes to politics, because I wasn't whatsoever. I was raised by two extremely liberal parents, and so I was nowhere near and they immediately brought up politics, and they immediately started trashing politicians and so on and so forth. And you got to understand, my mother is very political. I can be very political. And so this was a huge turnoff because I'm like, okay, these people are assuming I am where they are. These people just are moving, and I don't, I'm, I'm lost. I don't even know that there's a New Testament. They're ripping people politically that I know, you know, that my mom likes. And so far, it feels like the same thing, except I'm sitting down with the enemy. It feels like mm. I'm sitting in the Trojan horse almost, you know? That's what it felt like in that moment. Mm. And just listening to where you'd come from, I'm amazed you became a believer. It had to be God chasing you down and his love and his grace. And uh, it was the sovereignty of God. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I learned. The more that I studied Jesus, Dennis, I learned that he had very deep theological convictions and expectations for how we should live our life. But he also had very deep relationships with people who are far from God and not like him, hmm. which I guess was everybody was not like him. But still, he pursued people that the religious culture would not. And he pursued people that even secular society wouldn't either. That He really marched to the beat of his own drum. Yeah, you tell the story in your book about how Jesus approached the woman caught in adultery. Yeah. And how the religious community didn't rescue her. They were ready to stone her. No. And how Jesus 
reached out and protected her. And I think that's who you encountered in that Bible study. You ultimately found the Jesus Christ of the Gospels and of the New Testament who fulfilled the Old Testament, and he became flesh and showed us what real love looks like and what God's love for us is today. Yeah, we've we've reflected often here on what John says about Jesus in John 1.14, which is that he was the uh, the picture for us. He is uh, the revelation of the Father, but it says he's full of grace and truth. He's, he's full of both. There's grace and there's truth. And, and I think that's what we're having to learn to wrap our hearts and heads around as followers of Jesus today. How can we be full of truth? Well, you say it. How, how can we learn to love others without sacrificing conviction? That's the subtitle of the book you've written called Messy Grace. And I'd encourage our listeners to get a copy of it and uh, read your story, read the things you've learned along the way and how you've coached us today to do better as we engage with people who don't think the way we think about issues. Caleb Kaltenbach's book is called Messy Grace. We've got it in our Family Life Today Resource Center. You can order a copy from us online at familylifetoday.com, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to order a copy. Again, the toll-free number is 1-800-358-6329, 1-800-FL-TODAY or go online to order at familylifetoday.com. We want to take a minute here and just say a quick word of thanks to those of you who are not just regular listeners to Family Life Today. And while we're glad to have all of our regular listeners tuning in, thank you for doing that. We want to give a special shout out to those of you who help make this program possible. I don't know how many listeners realize this, but in your community, there are a small number of people who have made it possible for you to hear what you've heard today. They are friends of this ministry who will either on occasion or on a regular basis support Family Life Today with a donation. And during the summer months, we often see a a decline in the number of folks we hear from who are helping to support this program. So if you're a regular listener, if programs like the one you've heard today are helpful for you and your family, if you think this is important conversation to be having in your community, Would you join the Family Life team and help make this program possible on an ongoing basis? You can do that by giving online at familylifetoday.com, or you can call to donate at 1-800-FL-TODAY. And you can mail your donation to us. Our address is Family Life Today, Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas, and our zip code is 72223. Now, tomorrow we want to talk about the difference between accepting someone and approving of someone. Because as we'll hear from Caleb Kaltenbach, that's an important distinction. I hope you can be back with us again tomorrow. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you next time for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a crew ministry. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.